to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 36. We're getting towards the end of the book, only a few more chapters, but we're still in this long-winded speech by Elihu, a couple more chapters, I don't know if we're going to get to 37 tonight, um, but they kind of go together, I'd love to close it out and then just start with 38 the next time. At the end of chapter 35, we saw Elihu take one more shot at, at Job and his empty words, kind of ironic, coming from a guy who can't say anything without writing a whole book and um, you know he loses his audience so many times he's got to kind of call them back and get their attention again so many times Um, and he tells Job that his words are empty Um, but he felt the need to just continue to to take these these uh, shots at Job and in the at the end of 35 in verses 13 through 16 he says surely God will not listen to empty talk nor will the Almighty regard it, although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain, he multiplies words without knowledge. You know, one thing in that kind of that criticism of Elihu toward Job that is correct is that Job had to wait patiently on the Lord. And I know all of us have to do the same thing. He, uh, he brings out one of God's characteristics that uh, we have a tough time with sometimes, and that is waiting on him uh, for his perfect timing, because his timing is always perfect. Um, he also declares that God is gracious and God is just, and that's also very true. Something that we should always remember. He's gracious and he's just. Because sometimes we look at our, we have a picture of God through our circumstances. Don't we? Through those glasses, those, those lenses that kind of cloud our, the proper perspective of who he is. So in these next two chapters, the last of Elihu's speech, 36 and 37, um, he's going to declare the greatness of God. He's going to declare the, um, the graciousness of God, his justice, and his awesome power. And as a lot of um, false teachers do, and I wouldn't call Elihu a false teacher, but um, he mixes truth with error. You know, a little bit of truth, a little bit of error. And it was Job's responsibility and the listeners there at the time to kind of separate the two, just like it is ours. We need to have that discernment when we hear a message that sounds, you know, mostly good, maybe, um, but there's something that's a little off. We need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would give us discernment in those things, because there are some things that, um, that sound good, but we need to be checking them always against the word of God to make sure that we're hearing the right thing and we're listening to the right thing. On our own, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can be confused. We can maybe have a clouded view of the reality of God. 
because what we do is we we kind of measure those things sometimes by our circumstances or by the counsel that we receive or even by the state of mind we happen to be in at the time right if we're just if we're just struggling with something or if we're um, if we're just not thinking straight we won't see god for who he really is and that can obscure the truth how many of us though realize like after the immediate crisis is over we kind of look back and we say, wow, I didn't see that at all the way it, it really was. I had a really um, bad interpretation of what was going on in my life because when I was going through it, I was kind of in a whirlwind. But after the fact, we look back and we say, wow, I sh- I, there were times I should have looked at that differently. And, um, and God may be dealing with us in a way differently than what we thought when we were going through it. So a lot of things that we can take from these chapters as far as application for our lives, how we see God and how we see his relationship with us. And again, it always has to be measured against the word, and it also has to be discerned by the Holy Spirit. So let's keep that in mind as we Try to get through these last two chapters here of Elihu's long speech. So jumping into verses 1 through 4 of chapter 36. It says, Elihu also proceeded, proceeded and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. So, I don't know, was Elihu talking about himself there? We're going to get into that a little bit. Um, But again, you see here, he has to get the attention of his listeners. He says, bear with me a little. I'll show you, just stick with me a little longer, and I'm going to show you that I have more to say on God's behalf. Boy, he's really elevating himself to God's spokesman, right? He's saying, I, what I'm saying here is on God's behalf. You know, I don't know if the people were becoming bored or, or just uncomfortable um, with this long uh, speech and, and the criticism that he had of Job, um, but he felt it necessary to ask them for patience. Just bear with me a little longer. I have more to say. It's very, very important stuff. It's actually God's words that I'm going to give to you. And he goes on to say that he's speaking for God. And he seems to be saying here something very interesting that we'll, we'll kind of delve into just a little bit. He said he's receiving special knowledge directly from God. He said, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker, which is the right thing to do. God is righteous. He's just. He's He's perfect. For truly my words are not false. So what he's saying is, if I'm speaking for God, then my words have to be true. And then he says, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, we don't know if he was talking about himself there. Um, In my Bible, that, that word one is capitalized. But sometimes the translators will capitalize a word in the middle of a sentence, even though it's, you know, in in English grammar, we capitalize the beginning of the sentence, but sometimes they do it in the middle. As you look in your Bible, you'll see that happen. Um, certainly is uh, boastful, to say the least, to say he's perfect in knowledge. 
So I, I tend to think, I give him a little bit of a break and say that I think he's really talking about God, who is perfect in knowledge. And if he is God's spoke, spokesman, or if he has received special revelation or a word of knowledge from God, then that word will also be perfect. So just to, um, just to put that kind of to bed. But this word of knowledge um, gift that, um, that people talk about, um, there is a gift of the Spirit called the word of knowledge. Um, Don Stewart, a Bible teacher, um, puts it this way, speaking about that gift. He says, the Bible speaks of a spiritual gift called the word of knowledge. This particular gift of the word of knowledge is a spiritual gift that allows the believer to supernaturally know something about a situation or a person. But it's not to be used to, uh, not to be used to take advantage of the circumstances of others. Neither is it for public display. And um, there are some, he goes on and says, there are some who believe the gift is no longer available to the church. They link it to the apostles and the prophets who had a unique ability to understand what was divinely inspired. However, some people argue that the gift is necessary for today. I believe that. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are necessary for today and that people can have a word of knowledge. I think that in the first century it was used in a different way to establish the church, to show that God was behind this new movement of, uh, of belief. But, but today, and today, sometimes it's, it's, um, it's taken advantage of those gifts. We can see some crazy things happening, you know, or a preacher will get up and say he has received a word of knowledge about someone, and meanwhile he'll have a microphone in, in his ear that he's hearing something about somebody. So we see all those kind of uh, charlatans take advantage of this, but it is sometimes you, sometimes you may receive a word from the Lord about a situation or about someone. And you'll, you'll say, well, there's no way I could have known that except that the Lord revealed that to me. So that's a humbling thing. That really is a humbling thing. So it's, um, it's, a, a gift that's still active today, but not in the same way that it might have been um, in the first century church. So about the about the word of knowledge. So certainly a lie you shouldn't be boasting about it. Right. Or using it in this public way, this display to show that he's received this word from the Lord. You know, so he was using it in, in the wrong way. And I think I think some of his ego and his and his pride were kind of turning people off a little bit which is why he had to keep, you know, bringing them back. Come on back. Come on back. Listen, I have one more thing to say. I have one more thing to say. And we've spoken about this before. We've talked about this, where people, right, people will listen a lot more to what you have to say if, you're, if you deliver it with humility and not with pride. No one likes a know-it-all. And I think Elihu is becoming a know-it-all. You know, we can just see that. In, um, as we go through these chapters. So um, he goes on here in the next few verses to state that God rewards the obedient and he punishes the wicked. And remember we talked about, you know, some things that are, you know, just the way things should be, but not the way things always are. And this is one of those things where, yes, this is the way things should be. This would be the perfect standard that God rewards the obedient and he punishes the wicked. But again, we look out into the world 
or in our, you know, our interaction with people, and we see it's not always so. Just keep that in the back of your mind. But in verses 5 through 12, he goes on and says, Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not pers- pers- uh, preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. So when we talk about God's greatness, which is really the brunt of what these chapters are going to talk about, it doesn't mean that he's indifferent to our individual circumstances. We always have to remember that. That's the, that's the manifold nature, the multifaceted nature of God, right? He's the creator of the universe, yet he knows each of us personally, individually. He knows our circumstances. You know, in many religions... God is defined as this kind of impersonal force or the source from which everything else derives. And sometimes personal language may be used to describe the idea of God in those religions, but it, it doesn't describe a personal creator. You know, the Bible is loaded with verses, with passages, with whole chapters that talk about the personal nature and character of God. He is fundamentally a personal God. We always have to remember that. Because as we describe his majesty, right, it sounds like he's, you know, he's so far from us, which he is. He's holy. We, we sung that tonight. But he's also personal to us. Personal regarding God's plans in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you plans to give you hope and a future. That's a personal God. It speaks about, the Bible talks about God's goodness. In Isaiah 63, verse 7, it says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. And all the great goodness toward the house of Israel. That's a personal God, which he has has bestowed upon them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Those are words that we ascribe to, to an intimate relationship with God. You know, loving kindness and goodness and grace and mercy. God's thoughts towards us. You know, the Bible is, is, is filled with verses. Psalm 139, verse 17 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Imagine God thinking of us. Imagine the sum of all his thoughts toward you or I. That's, it's hard to even fathom. But they're precious. They're precious because they're personal. They're precious because they're intimate. Because it's, it's you and him. You know, when you just, everything else can go away. But you know that you and God have a personal relationship. And he's capable of friendship. 
Now, that's something that an impersonal force does not have that the other religions don't have. Friendship. James 2.23, and it quotes from the Old Testament, but it says, And the scripture was fulfilled when it said, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Imagine being known in the Bible as the friend of God. You know, David's known as the man after God's own heart. You know, wouldn't we all love to have those accolades after our name, right? But Abraham, a friend of God, a friend of God. That means that God was a friend of Abraham because it goes both ways, right? God is, again, personal. This is a personal God. He's capable of grace and love and of fellowship. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's the Trinity in intimate relationship with its creation or their creation or his creation. The Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, in communion, in grace and mercy and in love with us. How awesome is that? That's, that's great. Just remember to keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to talk about the greatness of God, the awesome, the majesty of God. Never, ever forget that aspect of his nature. And one more aspect of God's purpose regarding man is that God judges the wicked and helps the oppressed. And again, in a, as a general principle, God does that. And when, when everything is set down in history, in human history, and you look back, you'll see that God was perfectly just in every single thing that he ever did. And we may not see it here. We may not see it in years to come, but we will see it as we look back from eternity. And maybe we won't even, you know, bother with that, just knowing that we're in his presence and he's always perfect. But he, everything will be made right. But there were times when Job felt like God had forgotten about him, right? There, you could sense it in some of the things that he said, in some of the cries of his heart. But the promises of God are always true. And he keeps his eyes on the righteous. That's what it says in these verses. He keeps his eyes on the righteous. And Psalm 34, 15 and 16 tells us the same thing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So he has perfect justice. The righteous and the wicked will get everything that they deserve. And if you put your faith in Christ, you'll get, you'll get a lot of things you don't deserve, like eternal life. And that's an awesome thing, too. So sometimes we might feel like God has, his, has taken his eyes off of us, right? God, you don't see? But I think that's because we're looking too much at our circumstances and not looking at the promises of God. As we humble ourselves and we yield to his will, he exalts us. But this isn't immaterial or earthly exaltation. This is by setting us free from the bondage of sin and death. This is the greatest exaltation as he, as he just raises us up and takes away those, those, uh, those chains of sin. You know, we can just, we just see that he, he blesses the obedient. 
verses 13 through 15 in Job 36 as we move on here. It says, But the hypocrites in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in their youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. So Elihu here is continuing to make this connection here, kind of to the, to the wicked and, to, and Job, saying, you know, Job, you know, you're going through this again. You're, you're being afflicted. You're being oppressed. But um, God doesn't hear you because you're in sin. And he was calling Job a hypocrite because Job claimed he, had, he was righteous and yet he's being punished as if he were wicked. So, you know, every once in a while, Elihu will go back, move away from this great description of who God is and kind of take another jab at Job. Um, but he put Job in the company with perverted persons, which, is, which isn't true. It wasn't. It wasn't that way at all. If you read through the through through the whole book, which we've done, we never see that. We never see Job in the company of wicked people. We see him being accused of that, but we never see that actually recorded. He wouldn't be included in that list. So Elihu here in these next few verses goes on to teach his listeners about the greatness of God. And he says in verses 16 through 21, Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint. And what is set on your table would be full of riches. But you are filled with judgment due to the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Because there is wrath, beware lest he take you away with one blow. For large ransom would not help you avoid it. Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed and do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. So Elihu here is telling Job that God was trying to draw Job from sin into a righteous walk. And that's what God does. He tries to draw us, draw us with his mercy. Draw us with his love, with his kindness, with his goodness. Tries to draw us into a walk that is pleasing to him. And by the, maybe sometimes by the conviction of the Holy Spirit or by a warning from God not to go in this certain direction, he will draw us from sin and draw us into righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. And Elihu is here saying that if Job would only respond, to God's call. Well, he did. He has responded. He said if he, don't, he only responded to God's call, he wouldn't find himself in the trouble that he's in. Instead, he would be enjoying abundance. And Elihu is telling Job here that God will, there's nothing God won't do for those who are obedient to him. And to an extent that that's, that's true. God has, um, you know, has so much that he wants to give us. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. That's an abundant life. That's a life full of joy and peace and, 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 and comfort and, and everything we need, not everything we want. But it's also a life that has difficulties and trials. We can never get away from that. 
Never, ever get away from that. So we have to understand that Elihu here is, again, looking at it just from the one side, um, but not from the other side. That sometimes, you know, trials are part of that, are part of life. You know, we look around in our, in our world today, and it seems like sometimes the rich and the powerful kind of have a way out of, well, they certainly a lot of times have a way out of man's justice. Sometimes they can buy themselves freedom you know, out of, you know, a criminal charge or whatever, if they have enough money or fame or power or whatever. But God's justice will always prevail. So we look out, we see on a human level, sometimes things don't look right. But remember, God is always going to be perfectly just. Now he moves on, Elihu, in these next couple of verses. He's kind of done with his lecture of Job for a little while. And he's going to really turn to... uh, urging us and Job to consider the greatness of God. Look what he does here in the next couple of verses. In verses 22 to 25, he says, Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way? Or who has said, You have done wrong? Remember to magnify his work, of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on, looks on it from afar. This is really not a good encouragement just for Job, but for all of us to keep our eyes on the Lord and to exalt him for his awesome power and to learn the lessons from God, who's the greatest teacher of all, because he knows exactly what to use to get us to understand what he's trying to tell us. And sometimes it's difficulties and sometimes it's blessings. But he knows exactly what to do to teach us the lessons that he wants to teach us. And what we need to grow to do to grow from what's really basically a self-centeredness that we are all kind of it's kind of all ingrained in us, a self-centeredness, even if we're very giving people. I think, you know, uh, a lot of times we look back and we say, there's a lot of things in my life that I kind of did for my own benefit not for the benefit of others. But God wants to draw us from that self-centered life into a life focused on worshiping him and on serving others. And, that, and he'll do that. He's the best teacher of, of doing that. And in verse 24, I love it because he encourages us to sing. Sing songs of praise and thanksgiving because he's so great and he's so worthy of our praise. So when you lift your voices in song, you do it to praise him and to honor him because he's worthy. In verses 26 through 33, Elihu is going to now describe God's power as demonstrated in nature. So he goes on and says, Behold, God is great, and we we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the midst, mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it. The cattle 
also concerning the rising storm. You ever notice, somebody told me a long time ago that when the cows are laying down in the pasture, that means it's going to rain. Did anyone, has anyone ever heard that? I don't know if it's an old wives' tale or if it's true, but according to the Bible here, it says the cattle know when the weather's going to change. God's greatness, God's greatness, his power is, is described in, in nature, looking around at everything that we see around us, and that his greatness is beyond finding out. His greatness is beyond finding out. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. That's the New Living Translation. Beyond comprehension. So we enjoy the work of his hands of creation, right? We like to go out into nature and to uh, maybe a walk in the woods or just to see the beauty, especially in the fall as the leaves start to change in colors and all that. And when we do that, hopefully we begin to realize um, just the power of God. We get more understanding as to his greatness and his awesome power. You know, science... Uh, and meteorology and all of that have done a great, a great job explaining the water cycles, right? As we, you know, we watch, you know, if you watch a newscast with a meteorologist, not just a weather person, but someone who really knows what they're talking about. They talk about the, you know, the, uh, the different wind currents and, uh, you know, the different uh, barometric metric pressures and all of the things that go into making the weather what it is in our region. And they tell you, you know, how things are going to be coming in and leaving from our area. And they can, they can see those things. Science has done a great job in doing that. And, but think about this, the fact that Elihu, this is way before meteorology, but he can explain also the things that God is doing in nature. We can see his beauty. We can see the wisdom, right, of a creator in, in nature and in, the, the nat- in nature's water cycle. It can be observed by man, by man. And I think that was purposeful for God to do so that we can see it and that we can worship him because of it. We can give him all the honor and all the glory. You know, some of the descriptions actually of the storm cycles in the book of Job have led some Bible scholars to, to shed doubt on the dating of this book. To say it must have been written way later because they could never have known all of the things about the different, uh, the, the different natural water cycles and all of that uh, back then. They just didn't have the knowledge. But again, what did Elihu say? He said, I have knowledge from afar. In verses 1 through 4, he, he kind of expressed, he said, listen, I'm going to say things that are going to come from God. And maybe part of what he was going to say, people didn't understand. Like, what are you talking about, Elihu? What are you talking about, all these different descriptions of, of the weather and all of that? And he says, this is a word from the Lord. And that's how, that's the explanation. So in chapter 37, let me see, where are we? We're not going to get there. It's just going to, I'm just going to cut it too short. I just don't want to do that. We're going to see his description. It would be great to read ahead because it's going to be maybe next month before we get there. It's great to see Elihu's description here of God's power 
in a storm. And I don't know about you, but I love going out in a thunderstorm as long as I'm safe, you know, looking outside and seeing the lightning crash and the thunder boom and, and the rain coming down as long as it's not a flood and people are safe. I mean, you know, there's something in the power of a storm even a snowstorm. I mean, just seeing, seeing the power there. And this is, this is a proclamation, really, of God's greatness. So in chapter 37, because of the way he breaks it down, he kind of goes season by season. And I don't want to rush through that. I want to just, I want to let us kind of soak that in a little bit. So read ahead if you want. Uh, or be surprised the next time we, get, we gather together. Um, but just know that I think the most important thing to take from Elihu's long-winded speech and all of the things that he said, and uh, many of the things which were not true, but some of the things which were true, is that God has this um, uh, wide-ranging characteristics. And he can be powerful and he is powerful, he's holy, he's perfect, but he also desires that intimate relationship with each and every person, whoever was created. He wants to draw us. Heed that call, if that's you tonight and you haven't done that. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossway. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.